This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thank you for joining me. I do appreciate it. All the people that support me on Patreon. Thank you, thank you very much. You make the world go around and you make the podcast what it is today. So thanks all the people on Patreon. If you're not sure what Patreon is and you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash AHP. And uh, for as little as $1, you can get all the episodes of the podcast in advance of anyone else asking questions uh, and all those goodies as well. So if you want to support me on Patreon, thank you, thank you very much. Coming up on the show today, uh, I'm going to bring him on the line in just a few moments. I've got Evan Todd. Now, Evan was a Columbine High School shooting massacre survivor. Now, a lot of you might remember the the Columbine shooting in Littleton, Colorado, back in 1999, where 15 people were killed and 21 people were injured. And that was on April 20th, 1999. Now, Evan obviously was at the school at the time. He was there during the shooting, and he came face-to-face with Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, the two shooters that took away people's lives that day. So it's going to be uh, a tremendous show with Evan. And for Evan to come on AHP to share his story uh, about the Columbine shooting and, you know, what happened, what those two guys were like, whether he knew them at the school, and also what would have driven them to do something like this. We also talk about life after the Columbine shooting and how he's also dealt with it 20 years or almost 20 years after the shooting we also talk about guns we talk about hunting we talk about mass shootings and some of the things that we think we might be able to do to hopefully drop some of these issues that are happening with these crazy crazy kids these disenfranchised kids killing people in schools and uh, what evan thinks we might be able to do about it to change that so i want everyone to listen to this show give a big warm welcome to evan todd welcome to the show mate thanks for joining me i'm glad you know 20 years later after uh the columbine shooting we're able to uh you know sit here man and i'm in australia you're in colorado and we're able to sit here and have a chat man so thanks for coming on to ahp i really do appreciate it thank you absolutely thank you and uh yeah, i'm uh, i'm definitely grateful to be here for sure uh, you said you were ma- before we got onto the show you said you were married so i'm sure you your wife and you've got some kids too i'm sure they're happy to have you here as well so that's great yeah yes uh yeah i'm blessed with uh, a, a beautiful wife and, and a young son excellent man mate tell us a bit of history tell us a bit about evan todd you know family i guess you know professional where you grew up uh just give us a bit of a back history about yourself, man, so the so my listeners that listen to the show, you know, can get a bit of a feel for who Evan Todd is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up in Littleton, Colorado, which uh, no one really knew about. It's a very small, close knit, tight knit community um, outside of Denver, Colorado, and you know it was it was just a, a quiet little area. Uh, grew up. I have three brothers and. Uh, we grew up, you know, backpacking. We're right up against the mountains, the Rocky Mountains. So we grew up backpacking and hunting and fishing. And um, and it was just, you know, it was a small world. Uh, I didn't think I didn't think a lot existed outside of a, you know, 50-mile radius around me. That was, that was my whole world. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, now it's it's a completely different town. It's, it's grown into it's basically a part of Denver, but I still love it and I still call it home. You still living in Littleton or that that area of Colorado or sorry south uh, south southeast Denver, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's southeast Denver. I'm still in that area. Uh, I've moved a little bit north of that. Um, I'm still in that same area, um, and I'm right up against the the Rocky Mountains, so I have quick access for short hikes or fishing trips, and um, it's just it's beautiful. It's you know it's it's not it, I, it, I call it home not only just for its beauty, but um, you know, this is where where my roots are and my family is. So, like when you were growing up, obviously, you know, your mum and dad did did dad hunt or did dad shoot or have you got any brothers that growing up hunting and shooting or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my dad, uh, he did <laughs> he he did hunt um, a lot more before he had four boys. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, and then he spent most of his time working working to feed us. But um, yeah, we grew up shooting. Uh, we were in the Boy Scouts. Uh, my, my dad actually, um, um, went to a scout meeting with four young sons 
And one of the older scoutmasters, you know, pegged him and said, oh, my gosh, look at this guy. This poor sucker's got four sons. So if we recruit him into the scouts, he'll be involved for the next 20 years. So um, <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> they did. My dad became uh, the scoutmaster for, you know, all my brothers and myself, and uh, which was amazing because uh, we camped every single month of the year. You know, even in Colorado when it got to snowing and um, all that, we still went out and snowshoed and dug snow caves and slept out. And, uh, we were considered a, a high adventure type troop. So we were always, like I said, once a month going fishing, hunting, hiking, you know, exploring. We were very fortunate to explore the mountains of Colorado, Utah, uh, New Mexico. Uh, we went on, you know, weekend trips you know, and over the summer we'd go on two, three week trips at a time you know, spending in the back country and it was, I couldn't ask, you know, for, for a better childhood. It was, it was truly amazing to spend that much time, you know, in nature and, and having those experiences. What sort of things did you shoot? Did you get around shooting like rifles? You know, I, I do a bit of clay target shooting myself. So I like a bit of uh sporting clays or five stand, whatever you want to call it these days, depending on what country you're in, you know, you got handguns. What did you, what did you get into growing up? What was uh, dad into and what did he get you guys into? Yeah. So we, um, we started out with BB guns. Um, you know, I can't remember how, what age, but my dad had an age that, uh, we all got our first gun. Um, I think it was eight or nine, um, maybe, maybe older, but, uh, and he would, and that's how he would show us, you know, firearm safety on, you know, how to, you know, check it and point it down range and all the, all the, the firearm safety things that you'd want to do. And so we started off with BB guns. We, um, as we got a little older, moved on to 22s and, you know, just doing target practice. And, uh, I think around 14 or so I started shooting clays and, uh, also doing some kind of low level, uh, high powered competition, high powered rifle competition shooting through the boy scouts, you know, nothing, real competitive, but, um, uh, in, uh, you know, that's when we would shoot 30 out sixes. And, um, we also, uh, were, we do some black powder shooting, uh, a lot of target shooting clays, uh, trap, ski, all that. But, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it was, um, I remember, uh, growing up thinking that, uh, um, you know, that they were dangerous tools definitely needed to be respected and, and treated properly with the, you know, the, the safety rules and all, but I never really thought of them as a killing machine. Mate, a lot of people go, you know, when they go out to, and we'll get onto a bit of the hunting stuff in a minute, but when people go to Colorado, you know, it's, it's very popular for, I guess, skiing, it, it snows there. What do you do? Like, do you just shoot, you know, or if you go shooting or target shooting or hunting, do you generally go during the, the warmer parts of the year or, or do you go in the snow when it snows as well? What generally happens in Colorado? We, uh, we shoot year round. Um, we, you know, I live uh, literally about three miles from uh, indoor shooting range. That's both pistol and long arm. Um, and you know, you could shoot year round there, which is, which is very nice to have. Uh, there's a ton of outdoor shooting ranges all around us and, uh, national parks are places that you can, uh, with following the right rules, you can shoot, you know, outdoors as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, people, people shoot quite a bit. Um, hunting seasons are obviously, uh, big times up in the mountains, um, and out in the plains, Colorado kind of has a, a good geographic mix up of that, but um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of ranches and, um, places that we would shoot in college. I had a buddy who had a, had a ranch outside of a small, um, college town that was kind of a mix of a college and agricultural, um, place. And we would, uh, we'd go out there and shoot skeet and shoot, uh, target practice right off his back deck. Cause he had a, you know, he had basically a, uh, uh, a range set up so that we could do that. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's nice. There's a lot of options to get out there and shoot. What sort of uh, game can you hunt in Colorado? What's, uh, I know you can hunt elk, I think, is one of them, but what, do you, what can you get out during the season and hunt over there in Colorado? 
Yeah, well, my brother, um, you know, you asked him, my brother's, one of my brothers is real big into uh, waterfowl. He shoots oh, a lot. I love waterfowl. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he is. I mean, he's, he's, it's, yeah, I think it's borderline an addiction problem, which is fine, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, <right. laughs> he, you know, he loves getting out for goose and, um, uh, yes. pheasant and duck and, yeah, so he uh, and he travels um, all over Colorado and goes out uh, more on the plains too, to Nebraska, Kansas, and does several trips a year. Uh, but some of the, you know, and I, I've done small game uh, rabbit and um, turkey and things like that. And uh, and uh, this summer I'm actually going uh, not closer towards the end of summer, fall. I'm uh, going up doing some. Doing an elk hunt, elk's elk's really popular in Colorado. So deer, deer's probably, uh, you know, I don't know the stats, but deer, I guess, is probably the most popular big game um, in Colorado. And and you can hunt, you know, moose, bear, lion, mountain lion, um, and even bighorn sheep um, here in Colorado. And those are those are a little less prevalent, but they're definitely games that people like to hunt. What about the old uh, humble coyotes? Do you get coyotes in Colorado? We do. Um, yeah, we do have we do have quite a big coyote problem. Actually, where I live too, I'm I'm right off of a lake that um, is five five star dining for them. It's got tons of geese and duck, and so they we get pretty big packs. And um, I'm kind of in a suburban area, so um, there's no hunting here, but the the local um, animal patrol spends a lot of time trying to re- relocate them, but, um, that is a, it's, it's not as prevalent. It's more, um, more the ranches hunt, um, coyote, uh, out here just because of the, uh, you know, how, how predatory they are towards their, their livestock and whatnot. What about, um, what about eating game? Do you eat, does uh, your brother or yourself or the family eat game like, you know, waterfowl or ducks or um, uh, elk? You know, elk's probably quite tasty, I would imagine. So do you get a chance to eat the eat the, ga- eat the game meat? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, my brother does a lot of smoking. He smokes a lot of birds. So, um, you know, and then you can put them up and freeze them and um, things like that. And actually just last night, uh, well, it was a, a few nights ago, but, um, we had uh, elk sausage, which is yes, delicious. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, the elk elk is just it's it's amazing. It's delicious. It's it's uh, you know the way meat was intended to be. So, um, <laughs> is there a lot of elk in Colorado? Is there a lot of elk there, or there are? There's uh, there's quite a few large uh, herds and areas that um, get pretty pretty substantial, and it's pretty big game. Um, you know, venison is very popular and very tasty meat too um but uh um you know i'm hoping to this because uh, i got tags for both deer and elk so i'm hoping to fill a freezer and if i'm lucky even have to go buy another one but we'll see how this this, this fall goes uh what, what sort of deer are they are they white tail out there or what's the species of deer you've got out in colorado yeah white tail white tail is uh I mean that's pretty much it um, for deer, and we do have uh, we do have pronghorn as well, um, and those are kind of some of the higher elevations. I've never they're man they're I give people props for that because those things are fast and they cover a lot of territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, mate. I've got to get getting back just to an initial question too. I mean, yeah, a lot of people come from as I was saying before, all over the states really to go to Colorado. What? What is the essence of, of Colorado? Why is it so good? Why is it so awesome? What is it about Colorado that people just want to come back year after year? Whether whether it's to hunt, whether it's to ski, whether it's to do, you know, just, just to holiday there. What What is the essence of Colorado? Well, you know, I think it's, it's uh, uh, I don't know, I'm a little bit biased because I live here, but um, it's one thing, just the, the awe-inspiring God's creation of the mountains. They're just, they'll take your breath away. Um, you know, and, and I've hiked all over and still, you know, I've been hiking since I was a small child and, uh, and I'm in my mid thirties now and I still go to places that are still brand new to me, never seen. And it takes my breath away when you, you summon a mountain. And I think that's part of it. Um, I think the, I think the people and and really the culture in Colorado too is is something that draws people in. You know, people are very friendly here. Um, they're um, they're a good mix of uh, 
of outdoor outdoor enthusiasts and just um, good hearted, good natured, you know, work hard, play hard type people. And um, you know, there's it's just it's it's just it's a special place, you know. Um, there's there's other places that are similar geographically that aren't as popular. It's not only just the guy, the beauty, you know, the awe inspiring landscape, but the people, the people of Colorado are just are amazing. They're, you know, outdoorsy, they're uh, very gracious, they're, you know, very helpful. They're, you know, when you see them out there, I think it's, I think people that are outdoorsy and get out there and respect the land and enjoy all the, the sports that have, you know, from, from skiing to snowmobiling to hunting to whatever, um, I think they have a different perspective on life. And I really think that has a, uh, uh, an impact on the culture of Colorado. And that really, I don't know, it's, it's something special that, that is hard to explain. Looking for a big weekend? Australia's biggest sports shooting and outdoor event, the SSAA Shot Expo, is now even bigger. With hunting gear and outdoor equipment from the world's biggest names, plus demonstrations, talks and entertainment for the whole family. Over 500 products, 160 displays, one location. The SSAA Shot Expo, Rosehill Racecourse, Sydney, June 23rd and 24th. Book online or pay on the day. Visit shotexpo.com.au for sponsors and the full program. When uh, you were here, I, I saw you originally on uh, Facebook and uh, you were on one of our breakfast uh, media TV show programs. Tell us how that came about. How did, how did you get in contact with them or them get in contact with you? How did that media interview come about? Yeah, that was kind of a, um, a roundabout way that how uh, contacts get passed around. Uh, a buddy of mine who's actually a, a, con- a state congressman here in Colorado was passing a, um, a school safety initiative for um, that was coming up out after the Parkland shootings in Florida. Yep. Long story there, but he had done some interviews, and uh, and the interviewers asked, "Hey, is there anybody else you want us to talk to?" And passed my name along to an American publication called The Atlantic, who did a pretty good um, piece on you know my my point of view and my um, beliefs and thoughts on on the topic of school safety and gun violence and, and, uh, gun rights. And, and then, uh, uh, another reporter picked it up. That was, that's all down there, uh, wrote a couple pieces and, and that's how the, uh, the morning show had read his pieces. So it was kind of a, a chain reaction from one piece to another that led to it. And, uh, you know, and they just, they just thought uh, my perspective was interesting. Um, uh, because it hasn't, it's not a story that's been told. Um, because I don't think it fits the narrative of, of a, you know, some of the or a lot of the, the media organizations. So, um, you know, the, the I'm very thankful that they did give me a chance to at least present my point of view and my argument. I think it was interesting there, Evan, because two things came up there. Uh, one, I, I'm not sure if they were actually informed about what your stance was prior to the show because uh, the, these people are, are our regular media personalities on the show and they tend to be, in Australia, quite anti-gun. I don't think they were expecting that, you know, you were actually going to pre, be pro-gun, so I'm not sure they were actually uh, educated. Uh, but also in saying that as well, which I felt quite disrespectful, now I'm not sure if you heard it as well, they were actually, instead of calling you Evan, they were actually calling you Eric at one stage, which was Eric Harris was one of the shooters in Columbine. I mean, did you hear that? It was ridiculous. Um, I did, you know, and it's those interviews, kind of, you know, they're very short, you know, that they're, um, they have a, a narrative of their own that they're trying to, to put across to you. And um, it's hard to explain how those can be uncomfortable at times, you know, and they ask you to talk about the, the worst day of your life. And then, and then, you, you know, you got to keep it together and uh, you throw on top of that. I did hear them say Eric, and it was confusing the first time. And the second time, it, it, it did. It threw me off a little bit in, in what I was thinking about because I'm like, why, you know. Um, and I didn't know if it was uh, an accident or malicious. I'm not going to kind of, you know, know her her heart and her direction. Um, but uh, it did throw me off of, uh, of what I was thinking about. And so that, you know, changed how the, the direction of the interview went. 
Yeah, I know. It was quite interesting, but yeah, I don't think they were definitely not expecting that. And uh, then they tried to come up with a lot of tripe and it just didn't, I don't think, and they actually copped quite a lot of criticism after the fact, actually, too, that uh, especially calling you by the wrong name. I mean, surely they should have been a bit more educated than that. I mean, I guess you can look at it as a bit of an oversight, but still, you know, as professionals, they probably should get it right. True. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good point, you know, and, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, that, you know, Eric is, is the one that actually, um, shot at me that day. So, um, you know, so tell us, mate, I guess you, obviously you grew up, you grew up in uh, Colorado. You went to Columbine high school. I mean, just tell us about the, obviously before the shooting, just tell us a bit about the school in general. Yeah. So Columbine, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, people have perspectives, um, even in, even in the States on what Columbine was like. And I don't think people truly understand what Columbine was like, unless you were part of it. And it was a great school. Um, there were, uh, a lot of great teachers. It was really, like I said earlier, close knit community. Um, and really 90% of the students at Columbine got along, you know, it wasn't your stereotypical, like you see in the movies where there's, clicks like the jocks and the dorks and the geeks and whatever groups you wanted to categorize them. I mean, sure we had, we had, we did have jocks and skaters and emos and, um, you know, I think it was before emos, but whatever they were, goth, I, think. <laughs> I don't know if there was, t- I don't know if there was goss back 20 years ago, was there? <laughs> yeah, I think it was goth. I don't know, but there was, um, you know, even despite having clicks, people got along and, you know, the football team would be cheering for the, uh, you know, the band to make, to, to do well in their competition and, uh, vice versa. Um, you know, people really cared about, you know, each other and it was, it was a really good school. And that's another, um, huge topic that I don't want to dive too deep into, but, you know, the team that did what they did that day, um, and, and some of their friends at the time, uh, weren't rejects as, uh, as I saw it, they were more misanthropes. They um, they really pulled themselves away from something really great, a, a really good community, and and a lot of what they they did, I think, was for attention. Uh, it was um, it was a really great school with a ton of school spirit, uh, a lot of support for each other, and um, real carefree. Um, There's a lot of um, there was a lot of smiles, a lot of a lot of joking around, um, just a lot of good times, and. Uh, it's it's something that was definitely shattered that day. Yeah, in 1999, what uh, do you like Australia? Do you have uh, years at school? What year were you in? in were you obviously in high school? What 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 year is that? So I was um, 15 years old in 1999, and I was a sophomore, which is 10th grade. So I was in my second year. The the schools are broken up uh, four years. I don't know how they're, they're broken down, but it's nine, ten, eleven, and twelfth grade, and uh, and I was. Uh, 10th grade, uh, the two that um, came in and murdered that day were both seniors and, you know, just weeks away from from graduating and, and moving on with their life. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was a big school, too. It was um, close to 2,000 or I think right over 2,000 students. So, you know, very large school. With those guys at the school, obviously, did you know them at all? Were were they uh, well known within the school, or they were just sort of no one really knew who they were, or did you know them personally? I I did not know them. Um, I I knew their faces. You know, with two thousand students, and you pass in halls, always, and uh, I never had classes with them because classes were pretty much broken up by grade level. You know, some were mixed in, but you know, I'd seen them around school. I'd never had class with them that I can remember. I you know, I'd never talked to him. I didn't know their name until I went home later that day um, after after the massacre. And, uh, you know, they were they were recognizable because of their, the, the way they dressed. You know, they, they wore the you know, trench coats that everyone knows and all black. And, yeah. um, you know, they stuck out because Columbine 2 at the time in the 90s, you know, the preppy kind of look was the, the popular, you know, thing. And, um, you know, that was how most people dressed at the time, but yeah, you definitely knew who they were, but I'd never, I'd never spoken to them before or, or anything like that. So when obviously, obviously there was a, it was April 20, 1999, obviously these guys decided to do something, uh, 
that would change, I guess, the lives of people, I guess, forever, not only in the school, but, you know, their families. Where were you when all this was happening? Can you give us a bit of a rundown? I, you know, when started, uh, they started shooting, did you realise, Did how long did it take for you, either yourself or people in the room that you were in at the time, sort of set the scene for us? Did, they, mm. did you realise it was obviously gunfire and how long did it take you to realise what was happening? Yeah, I, I think I, I did realise, uh, I didn't realise right away, but I think I realised, what was going on quicker than um, some of the other students I was around that day. Um, I was a, uh, I was in the, in the library um, on April 20th. And that was where most of everything that happened, happened. Um, there was some um, quite a bit of gunfire and um, injuries and, and, and deaths that happened outside the school. Uh, some down the hallways and into a little wing of classrooms, but pretty much, most of the, the death and destruction was in the, in the library. And that's, that's where I was at. Um, we heard uh, a loud explosion at first, which was a pipe bomb and uh, which I later learned was a pipe bomb. But at the time I remember thinking it was a, a car accident or a senior prank or, you know, it was a loud noise that everyone kind of, kind of stood up and looked out the windows to see what was going on. And no one looked um, concerned or anything like that. And then I heard some pops and the first few, um, I still was thinking it was it was a prank of some sort, or um, even the car wreck was running through my mind still. And uh, and we saw some smoke rising from the the parking lot, and that's uh, when we heard some more gunfire and then screaming. And that's when uh, that's when I knew that those were those were gunshots outside the school. Did you realize at all that? Did you realize at all that, you know, someone was coming into the school or you just thought it was gunshots, but everyone was still, say, unsure as to what was going on? Or by that stage, people realized, well, we should be getting down and taking cover. Well, yeah, when I realized it, I started looking around the room just to see, I don't know, for, I think I was looking for confirmation because I think at that moment I was trying to, I was hoping that, that that's not what it was. I was hoping I was wrong, really. And I was looking around and you could see that um, people were starting to um, realize what was going on and people started looking at each other. And you, at that moment, that's when you could see concern in people's faces. I was looking around at the, the doors, there were two doors, you know, um, inner and exits from different sides of the library. And I was looking at, well, should I go out that way or the other way? And, and right as that moment was happening of uncertainty, a teacher had run in and she was screaming, Everyone get down, get down, get down. There's kids with guns. Um, and she called the called 911 um, from the librarian's desk and was still yelling at us to get down. Everyone had gotten down on their desk except for me. I was the only one still standing. I was behind a pillar. And uh, uh, the only reason I really, you know, there was a few, but the main reason I was standing still was I felt trapped and, I I wanted to be able to run, and it was because I could hear the gunshots, you know, uh, echoing from one doorway, and hearing them getting closer in the other. And that was basically as they were entering the school. One doorway went into a hallway, and one doorway went outside the school. And how far were they away at that stage, Evan? They were um, so the the doorway to the outside of the library, um, you know, which was only you know, few, probably 15, 20 yards from where I was at is where outside that doorway is where the shooting began. Um, so that's where a lot of the, the echoing noise came from. And then as they made their way into the school and down the hallway, you know, from the, down the hallway to the, to the door of the library was, you know, another 40, 30, 40 yards. So, and you can kind of hear them making this, this trip from, you know, crossing the the doorway from the outside and then into the school or down the hallway. And so you could hear the shots getting closer and closer. And uh, I, I kept thinking, well, now that they're in the school, should I run out that back door? But the, the sounds kept echoing. And, and I was uncertain whether um, there was just one person firing or if these were, you know, shots that were um, coming from multiple directions. So um, I was hesitant to, to to go in any direction. So uh, I kept peeking around the pillar. And um, as I did that, one of the uh, 
the murderers step through the door of the 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 library and we made eye contact and he lowered his shotgun and fired around and it hit me in the lower left side of my back and as i uh i jumped down behind the copy machine that was right next to it and he fired two more shots um fairly rapidly that went over my head and hit a desk in front of me it blew uh there's a computer there and it blew wood chunks and plastic and glass and shrapnel back into my face and uh and then they entered the the library and you know, and they were yelling things, telling people, oh, you know, all jocks stand up. And, you know, that's when they, everything that happened in the library happened. Can you tell us what happened in the library? Or? Yeah. So after they entered, they started shooting at random. They would uh, make their way, you know, up and down my, the, the bookshelf aisles. And the, there's quite a few desks. It was pretty, you know, for uh, a public school, it was basically half desk and half, you know, you know, four or six person tables and half bookshelves. And, and most of the students had taken cover under those, those tables. Um, and it was pretty packed, uh, at, at that hour, you know, there's 60, 70 students. I don't know. The reports have the numbers, but, uh, it was, there were quite a few students in there at the time and, and they walked around and shot at random. And then they would walk up to students and, and ask them questions and, and then, shoot at them execution style and they made their way around and they uh they laughed and they hooped and hollered and they they talked about times when man this is so easy we should just put our guns down and start knifing people um you know there was times that they mocked god there was times they mocked people uh you know they were they were extremely racist and um there was a time when they were talking about a student after they'd shot him and what his brains looked like and you know it was it was awful it was complete horror and uh and and after a while um they made their way around the library in a um, clockwise you know manner back to around to the other side of the library where i was at underneath the librarian's desk and i had hidden in the, in the foothold where uh, you put your chair, you know, your feet go. And I pulled, crawled under there and pulled the chair in to try and, you know, cover myself a little bit and hide. And I saw boots come around one side of the desk and I saw boots come around the other. And, and then, uh, and then the chair got yanked out. And, um, at that moment, uh, one of them kneeled down and, um, asked me, you know, why shouldn't you kill me? And I told him, Look, I don't want any trouble. And he said, "Trouble? You don't know what trouble is." And I, I immediately um, said, "Look, look, look I'm, you know, I've been good to you and everyone in the school, and you know it." And his facial expression changed, and he started to. Uh, he stood up, and he lowered the gun that was pointing in my face, and um, turned to the other one and said, "Well, you can kill him if you want." And uh, the other guy looked at me for a moment didn't say anything and then just started looking around and uh they said oh let's go to the commons which was our cafeteria and you know sorts uh real popular place to hang out so they were looking you know to leave and he looked at me and they walked off and i learned i, I later learned that you know after that everything that had happened happened before that you know, at that moment, that sh the shooting was pretty much over. They walked around for a while. Um, they even peered into classrooms full of kids uh, and didn't shoot out or kill another student. In the library, did anyone pass? Did it, was anyone killed inside the library? Yeah, so there was, I think there was nine, nine people who were, who were killed in the library. Um, nine of the 12 students, I believe, were killed in the library. And, um, and I think... Um, there's 20, 26 who were wounded. And I think, um, you know, 17 or 18 of those were in the library. You know, the library was the ground zero of what had happened. You're extremely lucky then. Very, very, very lucky if nine out of the, what was it? 13 that died, uh, were in the library. I guess you're, yeah, bloody lucky, mate. Very lucky. 
Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I, I, I know I'm, I'm very lucky and I'm very grateful. Um, cause I'm also the only student that talked to them, um, that they, you know, didn't, they didn't know. They did talk to, um, a couple other students, um, earlier in the day that they knew. And as it, this is before the shooting started, but I was the only student in the library that they, they went to and, and allowed to live. And for whatever reason, I don't know, but I'm, I'm very lucky and very grateful to be alive. You know, I spend every day counting my blessings for sure. Yeah, that must have been very, very hectic. And I couldn't imagine what you'd be feeling, you know, when if nine people died inside the library that you think you're probably not going to survive, man. I, c- I couldn't imagine reliving that. I mean, or even what you're going through at the time. When you think back at it now, what you were feeling, is it is it surreal? Is it not to be disrespect or anything, but you think you were going to die? What did you think? Were you just trying to get out of there? Were you, what were your thoughts going through your mind at the time? Yeah, you know, when when it first started, um, I had a huge adrenaline rush, and uh, I um, I remember, yeah, just the just the adrenaline pumping through my veins up until the point that uh, you know, and it was really a um, a fight or flight feeling. You know, I was even on, even though I was under that desk, you know, trying to just wait it out, if you will. Um, I had this feeling that I just needed to to you know jump up and rock and ran a marathon at that point. And, uh, I had so much adrenaline and when they came up to me and pulled the chair out and they were standing there and actually pointing the guns at my face. Um, you know, at that moment I had, I truly thought that was it. I thought, you know, I've done everything that I'm going to do in this life and that's it. I thought that was, I, I thought I'd never see my family again. I, I thought I'd never see my friends again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's and 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 then the uh, the relief when they left, and then also you know it's a it's a roller coaster of, you know, of emotions, and then you know the anger and the just the things that that follow. It's 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 very hard to to actually put in words. Obviously, when one of these guys is pointing the gun at you at the time, did you know which one it was? Um, I no, I didn't know their names. You know, at the time, I mean, I knew I know now who, who they are. Um, but it wasn't until after I'd gotten home and back from the hospital that, um, my brother got, my brother was, uh, the same age as them. And, uh, he was homesick that day, but he had gotten his yearbook out from the year before because I told him, I said, I know their faces. I I can point them out if I see a picture. So he got the, the yearbook out and I started flipping through the pages and pointed them out and identified them immediately of who they were. Um, and that's that. That was the first time that I actually known their names. What about the people? I guess that rest in peace, their souls. You know, the ones that died that day. Did you, did, were you good? Did you know them? Were they good friends with any of them, or just you didn't really know them? Or well, there's um, there's one friend, um, Matt Kector, who who died that day. He was murdered in the library. Yeah, uh, he was a teammate, classmate, played football together. Uh, and, um, and then there were three others that I had had, you know, that I, I considered friends, you know, and I, and I knew through classes in that school, um, Isaiah Scholes, who, who was older than me, but I knew him because he was, he was a football player as well. Um, and, uh, and Corey DePooter and John Tomlin, um, were both, um, um, people who I had, who I'd met at school and had classes with and talked with. Um, even that semester we had, um, classes. So they were, you know, those, those four who were all killed and murdered in the library. Just looking at him here too, you know, like Matt Kector seemed what he was a, seemed like he was a, a lineman for the football team, was he? And looks like they all had a lot of uh, futures ahead. Corey DePuda, from what I'm reading here, looks like he was into golf and uh, wrestling as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sad man, very yeah, very yeah. sad. Yeah, I wrestled. I wrestled with with Corey Corey DePooter. Um, we were on the same, you know, the wrestling team. And yeah, I mean, you know, these were uh, the the good die young. That's for sure. Because these are, are you know some of the best of Columbine um, that died that day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you know, at times I think of you know like Matt and some of these other guys, and you know where they would be now had had they had not been murdered. Yeah, I know. And the teacher, did you know the teacher? Was it what, William Sanders? Yeah, um, Dave, Dave Sanders. Um, 
I I didn't know him. He was he was a softball coach and he taught um, um, keyboarding and some other computer type classes. And um, I'd never had him as a teacher. You know, I knew I'd seen him and knew who he was. And I didn't play softball or baseball, so never had him as a coach. But um, you know, I know I know that he was dearly loved by his students and players um, for for many you know years um prior to columbine and he was also in my eyes a hero you know he was he was running around that day uh unarmed and just trying to do what he could to shuffle kids to safety to get them out of harm's way and you know he didn't he didn't have to do that he didn't have to to run in in harm's way and and do what he did but he was out there um in the hallways when he was gunned down by these two and after he was shot, he made it into a, a classroom that was filled with students who who amazingly kept him alive for hours um, despite his gunshot wounds. And um, yeah, he's he was dearly missed. So after they after they left the library and they headed on what down to the cafeteria, what did you did you guys just stay down? Did you start evacuating people, or did you or you just waited till the authorities came, or, or what happened from there? So at that moment, the um, the library was full of smoke from um, bombs, the gunshots. Uh, you know, it wasn't a wasn't a very well ventilated area. The library, so all that gun smoke and and bombs that had gone off um, had even caught some fires in um, in in uh, you know on, the, on top of tables and whatnot. And and I remember getting up and looking out. Out, out at the library and, and it was still no one was moving and I saw you know pools of blood around kids laying on the ground and I remember whispering is anyone alive and no one re- responded and the one thing I do remember is it was silent it was dead silent and I later learned that somehow because of the you know the trauma of what I was going through my hearing basically had shut off and um, because at that moment the fire alarm was going off, there were kids still screaming and crying and, um, you know, in pain. And, um, I remember going into a back office of the library thinking I needed to find a, a place to hide just in case they came back. And when I had made it back into this office, I heard a stampede of kids running out the door to the outside of the library. And, uh, um, I looked out the door and they had already made it all out. And I looked back and all I saw again was students who had, you know, that were, they looked deceased. And, um, and that's when I looked out the library door and took a couple glances around and, and that's when I ran out. And at that moment, that's, that's when, you know, everyone that could get out, got out. Um, you know, one of the, the last ones that got out of the library was the famous, um, picture of Patrick Ireland coming out of the window. Um, he was still alive and he was by the, the windows and, um, and they, you know, crawled out. But yeah. at that moment, that's when everyone, everyone that was still alive got out. What do you think about these guys? What, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of talk, you know, after the shooting and stuff like that and a lot of different opinions. What do you think motivated them to do something like this? You know, it's, 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 it's tough because, um, there's a lot of narratives out there and a lot of false narratives. Um, and, and it's also tough to try and find what's truly in someone's heart. Um, but they, they had a lot of writings and they had a lot of, uh, recordings. They're part of our film crew at Columbine that did their, the local high school news programs. And they, um, you know, they, they talked about this for years. They were, they, they were filled and consumed by hate and death and destruction and, and it's something that I talk about quite a bit when, when I go out and do speaking is, um, you know, the thoughts and how thoughts and words can lead to your destiny. And they, um, they definitely spent, you know, the better part of a year, if not longer before Columbine talking about, um, how much they, they wanted to kill people because they wore certain clothes and they wanted to kill people because they played football. They wanted, you know, they, they, they really, um, I think they, they went down a, a dark hole that um, that 
that led to what happened at Columbine. And I think that's, um, that's something that is a huge issue that I think people need to, to pay attention to because they didn't just, you know, one day wake up and grab some guns at the, you know, and go down and shoot people. You know, they planned this meticulously. They had a, they had a huge plan laid out. They had, they had um, lists made of who they wanted to kill. They had, they had the, the intent and they had, they'd overcome that, that part in, in, in your heart of where you think it's okay to kill and murder innocent human, you know, human life. And that's, and that's no easy task. And that's, um, you know, and they, they somehow went down that hole and, and destroyed a high school and a community. You know, after 20 years, these guys decided to, you know, they didn't want to live with the consequences. Now we'll get into that just in a little bit, in a, in a little bit, but you know, do you think there's still unanswered questions, you know, 20 years later, especially the fact that they took their own life? Would you like to have seen them? Uh, how can I say this question? I guess I, I, is the feeling that the people were happy they killed themselves or would you rather have seen them face justice, justice and be, and be caught for their actions? You know, that's, that's a tough question. I <laughs> Sorry, don't, I don't. I, don't I mean that in a um, very respectful way. Yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of people say, "Yeah, no, absolutely." Know, unanswered questions of, you know, we don't really have the full story, as you said. We don't know what they were feeling at the time. We don't know the darkness in their in their hearts and minds because they're now gone. You know, some people say they wish they was they were still alive so they could, you know, face questions and face justice. What do you What do you think about that in general? You know, it's um, that's a huge question, but. Um, there are unanswered questions for sure. And I think there will be uh, for eternity. Um, uh, I, I think, um, Oh, how do I, you know, I, it's, uh, man, I don't even know how to put it. I, um, I, I think things play out the way that they, you know, they do. And I just, I try and take what happened at face value and, and, and work from there. Um, I think there's a lot that we, have learned and can learn from, from Columbine. And, and I think there's a lot of, uh, political agendas and narratives from that are kind of a knee jerk or emotional reactions to these shootings. And it's unfortunate because I think we could learn a lot more. Uh, for one, they were clearly suicidal. Um, two, um, they were, you know, intent and because they were homicidal, they, they, I think some of it had to do with, um, infamy and wanting to live on forever and uh and that kind of goes to society and and you know where we place place our priorities so there there is a lot to that that i think could um, be delved into and, and really help prevent and stop these shootings from happening um but it's it's funny because we're still at the surface um because people keep blaming inanimate objects uh uh they think that's the cause and the blame of what causes someone to go in and murder innocent life now and on that same note i know this isn't the venue with the 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 hunting but i do um you know at times i do you know and i've forgiven them i you know i'm a person of deep faith and i've forgiven them for what they have done to me but um, you know, there are times I wish that they did live so that they could find redemption. And I just don't think that that, that happened. And, you know, and that's sad. What do you think prevention? You know, I we often talk about this on our show quite a fair bit. In 1996, our Prime Minister, John Howard at the time, he uh, we had one of the biggest probably uh, mass shootings in uh, in history uh, with Martin Bryant down in, in Tasmania in a little place called Port Arthur. And uh, he killed quite a number of people. John Howard decided to change the laws, you know, get rid of semi-automatic weapons. Just last week, actually, just, just gone, we... We had another mass shooting in Australia, a uh, family uh, in Western Australia, basically a family suicide where one of the family members killed a bunch of people. There were seven of them dead. This was with a bold action, what we believe to be at this stage, a bold action rifle. So you don't need semi-automatics to to kill a lot of people. This is the whole point. Now, in Australia, we would like to see to get our pump action shotguns back and our, you know, semi-automatic shotguns so we can go waterfowl hunting. And he banned these firearms because... 
our prime minister at the time hated hated firearms and he thinks there's no need for semi-automatics where we're trying to fight to get them back over here in Australia. But getting to my point, if we look at other countries like New Zealand, you know, Sweden, Switzerland, Czech Republic, even Canada, for an example, they have these types of firearms as well. And they don't have the mass shooting. So I guess coming back to America, and I love traveling to America. I love the States. I'm a big fan of it. I've been there about six or seven times now. I'm 37, so it's quite a fair few times. But what can we do to prevent this? What what options are there? I mean, I'm, I'm fully in support of giving, at least initially, giving teachers that are trained with firearms use being able to carry firearms. I think that's a good move, at least in the interim, you know, 12 months, two years, to try and at least solve a problem that if you do try and come to a school, you know, you're going to be met with heavy resistance. I mean, we just saw the recent shooting, was it in Florida, I think it was. The uh, police officer just stood outside, didn't do anything. Um, I mean, this guy was reported 39 times to authorities, to the FBI. He was putting posts on Facebook saying, you know, I want to be a mass shooter. He was making YouTube videos about this sort of thing. What can we do to stop this thing? How do we prevent it? What are some good measures that you think we could take to to stop this happening, at least in the future? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and then there's the prevention and treatment. I look at this two two different ways. There's there's ways to prevent this from you know ever starting and occurring, and and uh, and and then the treatment side. When these things happen and they start and done, you know and and the first bullets start flying, it's two different things. And, and the first thing we need to do um, for sure is the treatment of it. And what do we do in that moment? Because there's guns out there. They're going to happen. We need to stop these and save as many lives as possible. And I totally agree with the uh, you know it's an initiative I've been working with um, many pol- politicians on local and national levels here in the States. On uh, We have gun-free zones that... Um, uh, basically prohibits law-abiding citizens who have licenses to carry concealed weapons. Um, they're prohibited to from protecting themselves on the school grounds. So it's you know it's an, a process that I've been working with to to deal with those instances. And um, you know that's the first thing we need to do is eliminate the threat and and do that as quickly as possible. If you come into a school with a gun, you will be faced with fire. And we need to do that, you know. Secondly, when it happens, you know, it very rarely happens when uh, these shootings happen, people start blaming guns right away. Well, we need to start blaming the person because that's where the problem lies. And we need to condemn them as as loudly and, and as much as possible. What they do is sick and wrong, and it is not all right in any country in the world to murder innocent people. And and that's something you don't hear people come out and say, and they need to start saying it. And, and parents need to, you know, tell their children, this is not okay uh, for people to murder innocent people. And and sometimes people go down paths where they may even start thinking about it. And that's, and if, if, if they know that those aren't natural thoughts, that there's people out there to help them, if they know that there's help for them, things like this could be prevented. Um, you know, in, in, in every case, with Columbine there was, um, with with any of the big named ones, there's red flags. There's signs that show what um, you know people's intent, and they they broadcast it because I think deep down they want to get caught and they want help. And we need to take people seriously, take them at their face value. If you hear people threatening um, or making jokes about death and destruction and doing violence to others, report them. And on the other side of that, like in Parkland, Florida, people did do that. This shooting could have been prevented without any more gun laws or any more um, any laws of any type. And and uh, and that's you know, but the the law enforcement failed them down there. This shooting in Parkland rests solely, in my beliefs, on the, the, the sheriff of Broward County in Florida, in Parkland, and he he failed. The FBI also dropped the ball. You know, there's there's people who, you know, and and the and the sheriff that that stood outside while things happened. That's you can't place your trust in one person because they will fail. Um, you know, you are the first responder in an incident like this, and and you are the only one that's going to value your life enough to save it when you need to. We we just had an interesting one just the other day. 
uh, was down in Victoria, our state Victoria. And basically the police turned up at this property. I'm not sure if it was a rental property or what was happening, but there were people inside the house trashing it, you know, damaging it, just doing whatever they wanted to. And then the owner was there saying, well, go in there and stop what's happening. I want you to, oh, no, no, that's too dangerous. We can't go in there. That's too dangerous. Like, this is what we're dealing with with the authorities at the moment. We saw it in Parkland, the the sheriff. And listen, I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't a difficult situation, you know. I, you know, running into the running into the face of a, a shooting and you're a sheriff, I can imagine, would be quite, quite intense, you know. But, I mean, that's the oath that he swore to do when and to protect the community when he decided to become a sheriff. And as they do in Australia, you defend human life. And, you know, obviously he failed to do that and now... You know, he's, he's moved on from that position as far as I'm aware from the, the media reports. But, you know, we need to do something, you know what I mean? And I, as you said before, changing gun laws is not going to solve anything. Taking guns off people, good innocent people, is not going to solve anything. Taking away guns from making them gun-free zones, how is that supposed to make things better? Of course, you know, the ultimate position is we would hope that the teachers don't have to be armed. But at this stage, I think, at least in the interim, that we always hear it in Australia too, Evan. The people, always, the police always tell us, you know, if you see something that looks doesn't look right, report it to the authorities. If, you, if something looks suspicious, report it. But the thing is, in the Parkland shooting, they did report it, but the authorities, they didn't just fail one time. They failed tens and tens and tens of times without picking up on this person, you know? Yeah, no, and it, you know, and, it, and it's true. And there are, and you know, there are in, in America and across the world too. There are um, brave women, men and women who uh, law enforcement that wake up every day and serve their communities, you know, honorably and and even lay down their lives for, um, you know. So I, I'm not, you know, I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement, but when it comes down to it, you don't know how you're going to react. And and to me, um, you know, in the states, they have no obligation. To protect you, they have no obligation to protect life or property. It is a you know principle. It's a it's an ideal that they strive for, but there's no obligation. And and to me, the, there's a natural intrinsic right, whether it's enshrined in the Constitution or uh, or not. There's a right that I believe is from God and just a human right, no matter what your 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 ideology that is natural in the fact that you have a right to self-preservation and to, to protect your own your your life and your property and 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 that's the main thing with the second amendment in the united states and i think you know fighting for for your rights down there in australia you know hunting and all that that's what to me it's all icing on the cake <laughs> <laughs> yeah true <laughs> you're right i love me hunting but get, getting on i just wanted to just a couple more questions mate just before we finish off um, how long, obviously, you know, the, the, you, the, the shooting happened, you know, the days and months rolled on. How long before you decided, did you actually go back to school after that? Did you go back to school? And what was the, I guess, what was the feeling like uh, coming up, you know, months after the shooting and, say, years after the shooting? What was the feeling like? You know, we, there was no school, no class for several weeks um, after after everything had happened. And we went back to a neighboring school. We split time. We, they went in the morning from like 8 to noon, and then we went from noon to 3 and finished up the last few weeks of, of class before our summer break. And then we, um, over the over the summer, Columbine was, um, you know, remodeled and, and touched up and taken care of. And, and we went back to school the following fall. Um, you know, it was... It was a tough. It was a tough spring and summer and fall. You know, just dealing with the funerals and trying to understand what happened, trying to move on with life with, you know, without your friends, um, and knowing that the whole world was was watching and and looking at your every move. You know, I was 15 years old and and people were dissecting, you know, every everything I said and everything I did and and um, and trying to place blame on on. Um, myself and a lot of my friends too. So that was, you know, being football players. Um, but none of us walked into a school that day and murdered innocent people, you know? So that was something that, um, that had, you know, took time to, to really comprehend. And, and that was a time of my life where I, I really started to, um, question everything, question, uh, every, 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 you know, every little thing in my life I questioned, 
and um, going back that fall was was huge. It was a turning point of you know trying to to go on with life and and realize that you know storms come and go, but life does go on, and, and that was um, empowering to do that. And and that that later that year, I mean, kind of another story. We we ended up our football team dedicated the season to Matt Kector and and all the others that that died that day, and and to the school and to the community. We put our heart and soul into that season, and uh, and and ended up winning our state championship. And that was, you know, that was one of the first things that really was a turning point of you know things can happen, but good things can still happen in life. And and that life does go on. And that was huge to, uh, to do that. And it, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty special time, uh, and, and quite, quite the roller coaster of emotions to go through that. What about, what about, uh, 20 years later, mate? Uh, does, I guess, does, I mean, obviously I, from what I checked the other day, Columbine school's still there. Is there a bit of a, you know, tw- what's the feeling like, I guess, 20 years later and, you know, does Columbine still have that, just the name Columbine and the high school, does it still have that aura about it? Is there still that history about it? It does. I mean, you know, it, it's it's in the history books. It's in, it's in the textbooks that the kids learn about, you know. Um, I remember going off to college and, and reading about my high school in, in the history lessons that I was taking. Um, you know, and so that that the students there know, you know, and the community's completely you know, changed over from 20 years ago. So, um, but they, they understand, um, you know, and, and I think a lot of them you know, may, um, they just want to be, they want to be regular high school kids, just like yeah. we did back 20 years ago. Um, so I know there's, there's that portion of it. And there's also a lot of the teachers who, um, were there that day that are now retiring. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's t- the football coach, um, um, coach Moore, which is, uh, He's really the heart and soul of uh, of Columbine. Is retiring this year, wow, and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's one of the guys that 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 kind of pulled everyone together with the the We Are Columbine spirit. And he, um, you know, he had a he, he had a huge hand in creating who Columbine was, is, and and will be into the future. So it's um, you know, it's it's still a good place. It's still a, a, an excellent school, and um, you know, it still has. It still has that spirit. So, do you, do you keep in contact with anyone from the school still, mate? Uh, some twenty years later. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I talk to some of the teachers from time to time. Um, some of the coaches, the principal um, who's there that day. He's he retired a few years back, but Frankie Enzus. Um, I, I talk with him. Talk to a lot of the students still, uh, and um, you know, um, a lot of it's more just about life. It's not you know about what happened but what is happening now and um you know and it's good to see all these different directions and paths that people have taken since then and it just it's a testament that you know that you can get through tough times and that's you know that's that's huge because everyone has that those tough times you know after i mean i guess now but obviously since the you know over the 20 years do you ever uh, go back to the school. Is there any, you know, talks, discussions, meetups, or or anything along those lines to to go and reconnect with the people at the school? Yeah, there are some groups um, that do meet up from time to time. You know, the school is one of, uh, you know, other than government buildings, it's one of the <laughs> the highest protected, um, you know, institutions around. Right, um, right, yeah. It's funny, that, and they and they've they've uh, um, you know immediately after security change and it's changed throughout the country, um, a little bit, but, um, you know, they, they have, uh, several armed security guards on duty at all times. You know, law enforcement is very close by, uh, cause unfortunately they still get, you know, the threats and whatnot. But, um, uh, one of the stories, <laughs> kind of a funny story. One of the stories that, uh, <laughs> Um, led me to Australia. Uh, we were doing a photo shoot in front of the school. And, you know, uh, when I first left, um, it was no big deal. You couldn't go in the school unless you had permission and, you know, you had to check in and all that. But you could go in the school grounds and it wasn't a big deal. So I just told the photographer, yeah, we can go up there and take a picture in front of the school. And um, so we go up there and, I mean, we weren't on school grounds for, you know, 30 seconds before security pulls up from different, you know, several different directions and surrounds us. And, uh, you know, and I'm, and they said, do you, you know, do you have permission to be here? And I said, no, I, you know, I didn't know that, 
they couldn't come on school grounds without permission. And, you know, they had no idea who I was because this is, you know, security guards from now that weren't around then. And, and, uh, and I gave my ID and they're running my background. And, and I, I said, you know, I graduated from here. So I don't know if that gives me a little permission to, you know, to be here. And, I said, when I graduated, I walked across the stage and Frank DeAngelis, our principal, handed me the diploma. And he said, well, congratulations and don't come back. And and at that moment, I realized he really didn't want me coming back. <laughs> but um, but uh, joking aside, you know, they were they were on top of it, you know, and then after they found out who I was, it was uh, obviously OK. But uh, and it's good to see that, you know, because it's so notable and, and whatnot, they, they, they're really trying to, you know, protect the kids at that school to uh, try and have some semblance of a a regular high school career. Well, Evan, thanks for coming on the show. I do appreciate it in being able to, you know, share a story with us on on what happened and, uh, you know, life in Colorado, life at the school, life after the shooting, how you've developed into a a family man. You like your hunting and shooting and defending gun owners from these, you know, draconian gun laws all these politicians want to put in trying to take away our rights. So, man, I just want to say thanks. And, man, what, what a pleasure it is in 2018, almost 20 years after the fact, we're able to sit here with each other and you in Colorado, me in Sydney, Australia, and have a have a chat. What can you say, man? I'm just I'm glad we can have this chat. Chances are, if something had been different, absolutely. me and you wouldn't be having this chat. So, no, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate it, and I appreciate it all the time. Um, it was an honor to to speak with you and your audience. And uh, man, it was great. I appreciate it, and keep in touch for sure. All right, Evan. Thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.